If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Blake Snell has limited opposing teams to three earned runs or fewer in 22 straight starts. Did he just lock up the NL Cy Young? I think so. Welcome in to another Fantasy Baseball Today. On Wednesday, September 20th, I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we will talk about the NL Cy Young battle, although maybe it's a uh, battle no more. Ronald Acuna did it again. Unsung hitters that, frankly, we haven't talked enough about this season and much more. Reminder to stick with us throughout this offseason. We have a bunch of fun content coming your way. As always, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Let us know if we helped you Dominate your league this year. Win any championships. The bosses like to read that kind of stuff in the uh, Apple and Spotify reviews. So help us out. We do appreciate that. Scott, let's start with the Shohei Otani news. We'll get into all the action. It was a crazy Tuesday night. But I think this Otani news might actually change some things. Because we talked about him the other day. And then we get this update here on Tuesday that Otani has had surgery on his right elbow. And though it was not revealed exactly which type of surgery he had exactly... There was a statement that came out from Otani's agent, which revealed that he plans to be ready as a hitter on opening day. Otani, not the agent, obviously. Uh, Ready on opening day, 2024 as a hitter, ready to go, and then ready to hit and pitch the following opening day in 2025. Now, when I asked you about this just the other day, you said, "Uh, you know, I think he's probably going to miss some time, so maybe he's not a first-round pick. I don't know. Does this change things for you? Well, that that wasn't entirely what i said uh that was what i 
you know, projected to be the most likely scenario if he had Tommy John. I kind of think he had Tommy John. Well, it, it'll have to come out at some point. I mean, he's he's obviously hitting the mo- open market this offseason. His agent is uh, has responsibility to paint it in the most favorable light possible. And given that the agent is going to paint it in the most favorable light possible and has already ruled him out from pitching in 2024... I'm guessing it was Tommy John. We'll know for sure, though. We'll know for sure eventually, and we can, you know, obviously change our opinion as needed when we find that out. Hoping to be ready to hit by opening day. I mean, Bryce Harper showed it's possible, that kind of timetable. So I I think it's realistic for Shohei Otani to hope for that. And I wouldn't necessarily bet against him being ready to hit, given, given what we've seen him do while playing through and returning from injuries in the past. But even with Harper, as as I said when we talked about this last time, it took several months for his power stroke to show up again. Unprecedentedly fast return from Tommy John surgery and then wasn't quite himself for the first few months he was back. So even if Shohei Otani is ready for opening day, I don't know exactly what to expect from him. Uh, but you know, if the agent's already ruling him out from pitching in 2024, then we at least know that. We at least know he's not going to have that two-way capability. He's only going to be draftable as a hitter, only playable at DH. And so that has to factor into your decision-making too. Interestingly enough, earlier today, before this podcast, I was making out my first two rounds for next year, what I think they should look like, if I was drafting alone, how they would look for me. And Shohei Otani was a mid-second rounder for me. He was the 17th overall pick for me in between Garrett Cole and Juan Soto. If there were no questions about the elbow at all, he would be a first rounder, of course. Probably something like the fifth overall pick instead of the fifth pick of round two. But given the the questions and, and the fact he won't have that two-way capability, uh, I, I think that's an appropriate discount. I mean, one of the things I noticed in going through this process is just how many first-round caliber bats there are, or at least uh, borderline first-round bats, bats that have that first-round upside. It's it's kind of crazy how many are there. And so there were there were hitters dropping to round two that I think you could certainly make a case for going in round one. And there were hitters that didn't make the cut in round two that I think could have you could easily make the case for that. And that was with me putting just one pitcher, or I'm sorry, two pitchers among those top 24 picks. And still there was like this overflow of uh, stud hitters. I don't know. I've kind of gotten off track here, started talking about a different thing. But the point is, um, Otani, I think, is still going to be a second rounder based on what we know now. And again, what we know is that Otani had surgery here on uh, Tuesday. And uh, we don't know exactly what it is, but... You know, that puts him at about six and a half months until opening day. Six months will be March 20th, so maybe he can return in spring training, yada, yada. It might take him a while to get going. He's still just 29 years old, so he's actually younger than Bryce Harper, who just pulled this off. And frankly, I mean, at his peak, a better player than Bryce Harper as well. So I don't know. I don't really want to doubt the guy, and I'm not saying that you are doubting him, Scott, but it's very interesting. And obviously, we'll have more to learn this offseason. Last question on this with Otani. How high can you see him climbing? Right now, you just said you had him 17th. Again, uh, things can change. But 
I'm looking at your, your first round. I'm not going to give anything away so people can go read about it, but I think he can get up around like nine, 10, even with the question marks. What do you think about that? I mean, I can't speak for what other people are going to do. But if we get it's, good it's news, certainly- if we get good news and he's ready for spring training, which w- with whatever team he's on, and he just looks like he's ready to go, and he kind of looks yeah, like Otani look, in spring. If, if he if he shows up to spring training, and there, you know, he's he's playing as if nothing's wrong. He's in the lineup as regularly as he would be. He hits like six home runs in spring training. <laughs> Okay. I, I mean, it's going to be hard for me to doubt uh, that there are any concerns about his elbow at that point and any concerns about it impact, impacting his production at least. And so I think I think he could – well, I, I kind of already said, I think he could be as high as fifth overall, at least in Roto. Head-to-head, there are going to be more contenders there because more non-base dealers are going to be in the discussion. Head-to-head points, I mean. Um, but in Roto, I think Otani could be as high as fifth overall. I'd probably put him seventh in a best case scenario in my own rankings, seventh overall. And again, right now I have him 17th overall. Um, but it's going to take, it's going to take uh, a very productive spring that really alleviates what concerns I have about his elbow in order for me to do that. So it won't be happening until probably the very last drafts we're doing in March. All right. With that being said, Let's wrap up our Otani discussion and get into the rest of Tuesday's action. Holy cow! How about that? How about that, Scott? Xander Bogarts, a walk-off home run here on Tuesday night, and uh, he has had a pretty massive September. We're both going to be talking about San Diego Padres here. What do you have on Bogarts? Oh, yeah. He's having the kind of September that can completely salvage a stat line and and make us rethink how we're going to approach him next season. So I, I had been... Uh, I had Xander Bogarts as one of my busts coming into the year, and I'd been feeling great about that pick based on the way this season had gone for him. But he's making me rethink that here in September. Two for five with a home run here on Tuesday. For the month now, Xander Bogarts is batting 453 with four home runs and four stolen bases. It's raised his season batting average just in the span of three weeks. It's raised his season batting average from 258 to 280. Wow. And uh, it was his 19th home run of the year because he's kind of had the speed burst all of a sudden too. He's up to 17 steals. He has an outside shot at the 2020 season. 2020 doesn't mean what it used to mean. Obviously, Anthony Volpe has been 2020 this year and we haven't much cared. Uh, George Springer looks like he's going to get there and we still regard it as a disappointing season. I think overall we would still regard this season for Bogarts as as disappointing, but it does this strong finish does renew our hope for next season that you know maybe maybe he's not going maybe he's not an obvious decline. Maybe he can regain close to the value he had uh, for most of his Red Sox career. He is, and because of prior to this game where he hit his 19th home run, he had um, climbed ahead of JP Crawford and Dansby Swanson and Bobachet, who doesn't have as many games. He missed some time with injury, but he had climbed ahead of them in head to head point scoring. It looks like Xander Bogarts now for the season, just in terms of total points, not points per game, is 13th in point scoring. So, 
you know, he's 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 put himself on the fringes of uh, being drafted as a starting shortstop next year, and not just a middle infield option. I think in a points league, you know, given that we're usually talking about lineups that don't have an extra middle infield spot, he'll probably last to the late rounds in that format, his better format. But I don't think it'll be a a huge resignation to to accept him as your starting shortstop uh, based on the way he's finishing out this season. And the counting stats have been a disaster. You know, 40, uh, 53 RBI on the year. The whole Padres team, I mean, <laughs> I think you can look up and down and say a lot of these guys have underperformed what was expected. But I don't know. I feel like I'm going to want to buy in, buy back in on the Padres lineup, assuming they have all these pieces. We'll see what happens in the offseason. Uh, Bogarts also has played through most of this year with a wrist injury, right? We found out right before the season he was dealing with the... Uh, some kind of wrist injury. I think he had a cortisone shot right before the year. He had a cortisone shot during, I think it was the all-star break too. So this has been a recurring problem. Hopefully he'll rest up, be good this offseason. But I can see myself buying back in big time on the Padres lineup next year. Will we be buying in on Blake Snell? Also a uh, free agent this offseason. We'll see where he winds up. And uh, he continued his case for the NL Cy Young. Perhaps he wrapped it up here on Tuesday. Seven I no, so. seven no-hit innings up against the Colorado Rockies. Four walks, 10 strikeouts, 23 swinging strikes on 104 pitches, 12 on the curve, six on the changeup, five on the fastball. So just everything working here for Blakey. And uh, dude was jacked Blakey. up. Yeah, that thing, you know, we're on a first-name basis, obviously, right? And that's that's a thing. Um his velocity was up here. Fastball up 1.5 miles per hour. The curve up 1.2 miles per hour. Mentioned the stat at the top. He has allowed three earned runs or fewer in 22 straight starts. A 233 ERA leads all of baseball. 227 strikeouts. Second behind only Spencer Strider. 97 walks also leads baseball. And I've got some fun stats here that I found from an article on MLB.com. Blake Snell could become the first pitcher with 100 walks since 2012 and he might win the Cy Young which is just mind-blowing here uh Snell also is looking to become the first AL slash NL pitcher since 1913 when earned runs became official in both leagues to lead the majors in both ERA and walks that's something that we've talked about a lot since I, when since 1913 mm. leading I wasn't alive then uh, <laughs> well you know I wasn't um and if he wins the Cy Young, he'll become the first pitcher since early win in 1959 to lead the majors in walks while winning the award. So some fun stats there with Blake Snell, Scott. What do you think? Has he wrapped it up? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously you got the zero in the hit column for this game, which kind of makes it feel even more dominant than it was, which it was plenty dominant enough. Um, and then on the same day, you have Zan. You have Zach Gallen with another bad start. Four of his last five, four earned runs or more. His ERA has gone from 311 to 360 during that stretch. So I think Zach Gallen's definitely out of the running. He eliminated himself tonight. Uh, Spencer Strider was having a typical Spencer Strider start, just outright dominating the Phillies lineup. And then he has this inning, I believe it was the sixth inning, where a couple runners reach, but it doesn't it doesn't really feel like a rally. It's just a, okay, a couple runners got on base, but he he still seems in control. The Strider, it's not like he's unraveling here. But then 
a ball sneaks over the fence, three run homer. So he, he pitches another inning, allows three and runs in seven, but that's not bringing the ERA down like he needed to. Uh, just a very frustrating. I won't. I won't say it's a very frustrating season for Strider because he's still been the best pitcher in fantasy. But like the with the ERA specifically, that he has so many starts like that where you know he, he's he's just cruising, but then something weird happens and and his ERA ends up going up and just uh, down. But bottom line, I think it takes. I, I think it further removes Strider from the competition. And uh, Justin Steele's most recent start wasn't very good. I, I think he's Snell's closest competition, but um, Snell improved his candidacy. Well, Steele hurt his last time out. You gave plenty of numbers for Snell already. Here's one. His last 21 starts, you said it was 22 that he's allowed three earned runs or fewer, right? Mm-hmm. But I got the numbers for the last 21. A 123 ERA. And those 21 starts for Blake Snell. Still, even during that stretch. So, okay, maybe maybe he just had a ton of walks early on and he was giving up a ton of runs then. Um, and both of those are true. But even during that 21-start stretch with a 123 RA, 4.8 walks per nine for, for Blake Snell. So it's just the numbers are incongruous, that walk rate with that ERA. Uh, but... The ERA is what it is, and um, even though I can't shake the feeling that uh, the other shoe is eventually going to drop for Snell, it hasn't yet. And the season's run basically at the end, and the numbers are where they are. And yeah, I think uh, I I think I'd be hard pressed to pick anyone else for the award, considering. Yesterday, we spoke about hitters that are going to be tough to rank in 2024. Did you have Blake Snell on the pitcher side of things there? Yes, I did. (laughs) Which, I mean, he's kind of an annual fixture there. It's the first time I've written this specific column, but uh, he's he's long been regarded as one of the toughest players to rank, I think. Um, But even more so when he's going to be, on paper, the best pitcher in the NL, and yet... I have no idea whether I could trust him even to be in my lineup every turn next week based on recent history, meaning 2022-2021. You know, he's going to give you a ton of strikeouts. That's never been in doubt for Blake Snell, but if he has an ERA over four and a whip of 1.5, that wouldn't surprise me either. Oof, Blake Snell, man. What a season. What an what an interesting guy. An interesting career, I would say, to this point as well. One of these years, Scott, I will learn to trust my own analysis, trust my gut, go with it, because I really like Blake Snell coming into this year, and I really didn't draft him that much. I think I have him on... And you really didn't going into last year, right? No, I mean, I, I'm sorry, going into 2021. I, I Yeah, I basically flipped. The past couple of years, I was completely off Blake Snell, and then... I thought it was 2022 and then you liked him going into 2023. Go ahead. Yeah. And then I I basically bought in this year and I I thought he was going to have a huge year for the contract year. I just really thought he was going to shove all in and kind of looks like that's what happened here. A few stats here on Spencer Strider. This was per Opta stats on Twitter. Strider's 435 strikeouts over his first 50 career starts are the most by a pitcher since 1900. So continues to uh, make history. I'm surprised there's ever been anybody with more. Who was... Who was getting more strikeouts than that before 1900? I don't know. Maybe that's when they they just not bother to look back that far. Maybe they weren't tracking it at that. I mean, Uh, they they probably should have been right. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That was the stats. (laughs) I I don't know. Um, 
Zach Allen, by the way, he's kind of limping to the finish line here, too. His last five starts, a 637 ERA and a 148 whip. That includes a complete game shutout during that stretch, too. So uh, the wheels are kind of falling off a little bit here for uh, Zach Gallon, but overall still a, a very fine season for him. Quick mention on Ronald Acuna, no calf, no problem. Three for five, two socks and a shoe, five hard hits in this game, one of his home runs, 109.1 exit velocity, 416 feet. He is now up to 39 homers, 67 steals. I have a good feeling we're going to see our first 40-70 uh, season in baseball history. And uh -huh. I, I mentioned this recently, the record for most games in a single season with a home run and a stolen base in the same game is 13. That was set by Ricky Henderson. This was the 12th such game of Ronald Acuna's season. So he is now one away from tying the record and two away from potentially breaking it with, I don't know, nine or 10 games left. I don't know if he's going to get there, but I'm rooting for it. I'm rooting for it. Whole closet full of socks and shoes. <laughs> that is a, uh, Yeah. You said it best. Uh, let's talk quickly about the Chicago Cubs. I guess they're kind of the, oh my goodness gracious, offense of the night. 14 runs on 12 hits. Awesome first career start for Alexander Canario, one of their top prospects. He went two for four with a grand slam. His first career home run is a grand slam. He had five RBI in the game. Uh, just an awesome first start for him. Seiya Suzuki continues his great second half, three for four with his 19th home run. Cody Bellinger hit his 26th homer. Dansby Swanson went two for five with his 21st homer. Anything to add on these Cubs players, Scott Canario, Seiya Suzuki, Cody Bellinger, and Dansby Swanson? Yeah, so Seiya Suzuki since August 1st. You didn't give these numbers yet, did you? No. Okay, since August 1st, Seiya Suzuki's batting 347 with 10 home runs. That's 40 games. 40 games he's put up those kinds of numbers, 347, 10 home runs. And, of course, he's always had the great exit velocities. He may be figuring things out here. He may have needed, you know, he may have taken his time to adjust to this, this style of play, this league with all its variations from what he played with before in Japan. But I'm... Really beginning to think he's the real deal and uh, will be worth drafting, I don't know, top 30 outfielder next year at least. I'm um, getting pretty, pretty bullish on him. Canario, yeah, I mean, we'll see if he plays more. You, you'd think he's earned the right to play more given the performance he had here on Tuesday, but Cubs don't have a lot of openings in their lineup. So I doubt I doubt he's going to be that impactful down the stretch. And I have questions about the skill set anyway, just because he happened to have a good performance in his first major league start. And uh, yeah, I think that's I think that basically sums that up. All right, let's take our first break. When we return, we'll talk about some uh, I guess waiver wire pitchers for the final week. Ryan Pepio he. Continues to uh, look pretty good. Kenta Maeda had a great start as well. We'll talk about those right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back in, and we want to welcome a new show to the CBS Sports Podcast Network, and this one is going to be a banger. Kicking It is a new weekly podcast featuring hosts Kate Abdo, Clint Dempsey, Charlie Davies, and Mo Idu. Listen as they connect with the biggest personalities from the soccer world and beyond, including episode one, which drops tonight, if you're listening here on Wednesday, September 20th, with the legendary Thierry Henry. Here on unfiltered conversations with the game's most familiar faces that take you beyond the pitch. So what are you waiting for? Kick it with the crew and download Kicking It on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. If you're watching us live on YouTube, you can scan that QR code in the top right corner. That will take you right to their podcast feed. So anyone out there, if you're a soccer fan, make sure to check it out. Kicking It, new podcast. Let's talk about some of these waiver wire pitchers, Scott. I don't know how out there available Ryan Pepio is. He's up to 75% rostered. My guess is he'll pitch again this weekend against the Giants, and then he'll be at the Giants in the final week, but he pitched well once again as a bulk reliever. Six innings, one run, four strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 97 pitches. He now has just three walks in 33 innings pitched for the Dodgers this season. Yeah. I mean, he, he looks like a dude. Ryan Pepio looks like the guy and that improvement. Like I, I can think of examples of players of pitchers over the years who've gone from being bad control guys to good control guys. But Pepio, this transformation, he's gone from walking everybody to walking nobody. It's as extreme of a transformation as I can remember along those lines. And given that it was his biggest flaws, it, it was his biggest flaw um prior to this year the control that he's whipped it that completely um, i mean we're seeing the results he's he's he he looks like uh you know a must start down the stretch it's it's a little disappointing he didn't technically start this game because he doesn't get a quality start out of it even though he went six innings um but you know gets the win and gives you good numbers otherwise uh, did he end up securing the win? No, he didn't get the win. They they won it in the ninth inning. So he didn't get the win. It was a no decision for Ryan Pepio, but certainly deserved the win with the way he pitched. And obviously the Dodgers rotation is kind of up in the air as many teams rotations are this time of year. Even if he doesn't get that second turn this week against the Giants Sunday, then that'll just probably make up a 
to start or to turn option next week at the Rockies and at the Giants. So we'll get that same good matchup at the Giants at the Rockies. You know, that would be course field, obviously, but I'm not I'm not so worried about that at this point with the Rockies lineup in the state it's in and Pepio pitching as well as he is. I think he'd be a great start next week, whether he lines up for one turn just at the Giants or two turns also at the Rockies. And with Pepio, uh, I don't know that I trust long-term that his control, obviously he has like George Kirby level control right now, which would be among the best in the league, but he's still young enough where it wouldn't surprise me if something has just kind of clicked and like he started to trust his stuff and now he's pounding the strike zone and boom, pitching with confidence and he can carry this over into next season as well. It wouldn't surprise me. But um, yeah, I, I do feel like I, I read about changes he made at some point, but I don't remember what they are. So I, I don't know how helpful that is for anyone. But like, just I do think I actually saw something about the Dodgers tweak something with Pepio, and that's what's allowed him to take off like this. It didn't just come out of the blue. His previous outing, I was watching the game and I had the volume turned up, and they were talking about how he changed his arm angle this year and he went back to an arm angle that he used a couple of years ago, maybe when he was more dominant pitching in the minors. Uh, so yeah, something as simple as that could have yeah. got Ryan Pepio back on track this year. Uh, Kenta Maeda, the other name here, he looked great at the Reds, five shutout innings, just one hit, one walk, eight strikeouts in that one. And it looks like he lines up for two starts in the final week against the Oakland A's. Love it. And then in Coors Field, don't love it. The other name is uh, Javier Assad. He turned in a strong start as well against the Pirates. Five innings, one run allowed, eight strikeouts to just one walk. Uh, velocity down quite a bit in this one for Assad, but he's pitched pretty well. Um, it looks like he's home against the Rockies this weekend and then at the Brewers next week. Any interest yeah. in Maeda and Assad here? Uh, Assad was pretty high among the sleeper pitchers this week for that the, the two starts with the favorable matchups and then, you know, the, the Brewers matchup next week is a pretty favorable one too. But I, 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 I prefer not to start him as a one-star guy. I, I think you take your win with the two starts this week and not get greedy with it because I don't think Javier Assad is, is that good even though he's turned in some his share of good starts recently. The, the Maeda one is really interesting here. He was almost my pick at the top of the show. Because back-to-back good starts after a really rough stretch before then, and I'd kind of given up on him as a fantasy asset this year. Uh, seems like his splitter, he's gotten that back. He's been throwing it a lot. It's been getting a lot of whiffs again. I don't know if he just lost the feel for it for a while there and didn't have enough to uh, to survive without it. But he seems to have it back again. And those are you know, t- just in time for the two-star week, Oakland and at Colorado. It's dangerous, <laughs> and, and maybe if he was facing a good offense instead of Oakland to begin the week, I'd be scared off still, but I'm, I'm kind of liking Maeda for next week with those two starts. And, and the good news is the, the Oakland matchup comes first, so if, if they decide to insert a sixth starter at some point next week and Maeda, Maeda doesn't end up taking that second turn, you'll, you'll get the better matchup. Is there anything scarier than... Your season potentially coming down to Kenta Maeda and Coors Field, Scott. <laughs> you know, um, I, I yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but this is kind of along those lines. 
the podcast league, the original podcast league, I won the first two years of its, its existence, 2010 and 2011. That's the head to head points league. In both of those years, I picked up Bruce Chen for two starts at the end of the season, the very last week of the season. And he came through with huge numbers. Wow. That clinched it for me in both 2010 and 2011. So, um, you know, sometimes gambles like that pay off. And particularly that last week of the season, it's, it's, not, as, it's not as crazy as it used to be uh, in, in terms of teams resting their starters and just kind of throwing, you know, you kind of having to guess about everything, how much every player is going to play the final week of the season. You know, it's only 28-man rosters now wasn't so long ago teams could expand their major league rosters to 40. And so they had a lot more pieces to work with. So they, they don't go as crazy the last week of the season as they used to. But, um, you know, just part of the appeal of picking up Bruce Chen back then was, okay, well, I know he's going to start. And uh, it, it, it happened to work out then. But, um, yeah, it would, it would be scary, might at Colorado if, if your matchup depended on him performing well. You know, those 40-man rosters in September, it feels like ages ago, but, man, it was it was kind of the wild, wild west back then, man, trying to figure out who was going to play on what day, who was going to pitch on what day, and then trying to, I, I, I don't know, like, I guess figure out if any of your analysis in September actually mattered for the following year because there were so many, like, no-name players in the final, mm-hmm. final month of the season. It was, it really was the wild west back then, and it, it feels like it was ages ago. Three pitchers, that I do not think that we're using in the final week, but they did pitch well here on Tuesday. Taj Bradley, solid start against the Angels. Five innings, one run, six strikeouts to just one walk here. He had 12 swinging strikes on 82 pitches. The overall numbers are still pretty bad, but lots of strikeouts. You know, If Taj Bradley can get the walks down, he's someone I think we could kind of talk ourselves into being interested in for next season. And uh, two names much lower down the list Ryan Feltzner, he pitches for the Rockies. Great moment for him getting back on the mound after getting hit in, in the head by a line drive earlier this season back on May 3rd. So this was his first start back, and he was at the Padres. Five shutout innings, five strikeouts. Velocity was way up across the board. He looked very dominant here. And uh, Jackson Rutledge, who is a former first-round pick here with the Nationals, he picked up his first quality start of his career. Six and a third innings, two runs allowed. Only two strikeouts. This is a big body dude. He's six foot eight. He throws hard. Uh, he's got like four or five different pitches that he uses. The minor league numbers haven't been very good, but anything to add on this group here? Jackson Rutledge, Ryan Feltner, and Taj Bradley. I mean, it's a pretty interesting group. <laughs> is it? <laughs> interesting in like the, uh, I don't know. NL only 16 team leagues or something like that. I mean, Taj Bradley is, of course, interesting. Right. He's a, you know, came into the year as a top prospect and has had enough starts where he lived up to it that um, he's at least somebody you could think about. I, I don't think the matchups are good enough for me to go for it. And, you know, since returning from the minors, I think this was his best start and he's had a lot of control issues. So, uh, I don't think I'd be willing to use him. Definitely would not be willing to use Ryan Feltner or Jackson Rutledge. No, just don't do it. <laughs> All right. Some waiver wire hitters here. Austin Hayes went two for five with a double dong for RBI. He is batting 283 on the year. He's got 16 homers, a 792 OPS. 
he had a really awful July, but outside of that one month, Austin Hayes has been pretty consistent. He has an 815 OPS or better in each of the other five months. We just don't really feel it as much in fantasy, Scott, because he doesn't really stand out anywhere. He doesn't have big power. He doesn't have speed. He doesn't really walk much, so he doesn't have a great on-base percentage. He's just kind of fine. Austin Hayes, I think he's probably a better major league player than he is a fantasy player at this point. 70% he was roster. an all-star, Frank. That's true. Bites your tongue. Uh, seventy. You know who was an all-star last year? Jose Trevino for the Yankees, so that was great. Yeah, and uh, uh, <laughs> that, that second baseman for the Blue Jays, who nobody's heard from since. Who is it? Kevin, I can't remember his name. Kevin Biggio? No, no. Just last year. Oh, Santiago Espinal? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, so all-star greats here. Austin Hayes, uh, he's 70% rostered. He's got six home games next week against the Nationals and the Red Sox. Any interest, Scott? Gosh, how was he an all-star last year? Espinal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, he's in a good lineup. He plays basically every day. I, I, I don't think... I don't think he's anybody's first choice, but if you get in a pinch the final week of the season, and uh, you know those those matchups are probably going to be pretty good against the Nationals and Red Sox, and you do worse than Austin Hayes. I do wonder what his future is with the Orioles, because obviously they're graduating a lot of more talented players than Austin Hayes. Uh, uh, Heston Kierstad, who hit his second major league home run here. On Tuesday, and Colton Kowser, well, his first stint in the majors didn't go so well, but still has a lot of upside. I think it's still a big part of the Orioles' future. And um, I wonder if once all those young players start clicking, if Hayes is going to wind up being more like a bench bat or the lesser half of the platoon, platoon, something like that for the Orioles, or if he ends up being trade bait. That's possible as well. But I, I would say he's firmly a top 75 outfielder in fantasy, but without much hope of being a top 30 outfielder in fantasy. Mm. Maybe let's say top 60 without much hope of being a top 30. The Orioles are in such an interesting spot. I think I saw today that they won their 95th game of the year. And again, we still have nine or 10 games left to play and they have all these young kids who still haven't debuted yet guys in the minors. So they are loaded with ammunition they're a team to me that looks like maybe they're one ace pitcher away from just like truly taking that step to being a championship caliber team. So it wouldn't surprise me if in the offseason they make some kind of move, maybe give up a prospect or two. The Marlins, I'm sure, would love a few position players. So maybe there's something there. But uh, yeah, they're they're loaded. Great job for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Willie Castro has been really solid recently. Two for five with his eighth home run. 15 games since returning from injury, 291 batting average, three homers, two steals, 31% rostered. He's got four position eligibilities, second base, third base, shortstop, outfield. And we've mentioned this before with the Twins. They have awesome matchups the final week. The Oakland A's and their in-course field. They got three lefties on the schedule. But Willie Castro, he's a switch hitter. They have injuries right now. Carlos Correa is out of the lineup. Royce Lewis left with a hamstring injury. So... I think he's going to play, and those matchups are awesome, Scott. So, look, if I'm in a pinch, you can use this guy anywhere. I, I kind of like it for the final week, Willie Castro. Yeah, I mean, it's particularly if you need speed, uh, I, I think he could he could make a surprise contribution for him for you. I bet I can come up with ten hitters rostered in 
are available in enough leagues to the, that that Willie Castro is not going to make the cut for my sleeper hitters for the final week. I bet you can't, you, Scott. You bet I can't. You bet it's going to end up there. <laughs> Willie Castro is on the list tomorrow or Thursday, rather. I guess. Yeah, I hope so. I'm rooting for him. Okay. Let's go, Willie. Well, I'll I'll be rooting for him. But I don't <laughs> think he's going to make it. I know you're going to you're going to consciously leave him out on purpose now. I, <laughs> Just to spite you? Yeah. I uh, like you, Frank. I, I wouldn't want to spite you. All right. Intentionally. Let's uh let's talk about a few catchers here. We've talked a lot about catchers recently. These guys are playing well. MJ Melendez, strong second half. He went 2 for 3 with his 15th home run. Uh after the All-Star break, batting 279 with 9 homers, 2 steals and an 845 OPS. He's 64% rostered, six games next week against the Tigers and Yankees. Bo Naylor, again, one for two with two walks and his ninth home run. He's having a big September. And Logan O'Hoppy went one for four with his 11th home run, 110.4 exit velocity on that one. 25 games since returning. I didn't realize the batting average was so bad, 194 since coming back, but he does have 27 home runs during that time. And the Angels have six games next week, three against the Oakland A's. So pretty good matchups. Looks like for uh, Logan O'Hoppy. Scott, how are you ranking those three for the final week? And a question I keep getting, do you drop Sean Murphy for any or all of them? Boy. Yeah, that's, that Sean Murphy thing is tough. I, it was easier when it was comparing him to Mitch Garver. I don't know. You're asking me about the matchups, and I don't. I haven't put those together yet. So it's hard to say how I'd rank them for the final week. Uh, I'll have to do this at some point when you're talking because I can't even get kind of a preliminary look at them right now because the league I use to the league I rely on for that isn't set up for the last week of the season for some reason. But um, okay, so just top of mind here, I will say I like Naylor sitting against left-handers. Right? He's been pretty bad against lefties this this year. I, I mean, I've been really impressed by what he's been doing when he is playing. But I, I don't know. I'd have to see how many. I'd have to see how many left-handers are on the schedule for Cleveland. I can't at the moment. But. So they have six games next week. It looks like there is at least two lefties: Andrew Abbott and Eduardo Rodriguez. Well, Erod left with an injury, so I don't know if he's going to pitch. At least one lefty. Oh, I lied. There's only five games next week. Eh, that doesn't feel too good for Bo Naylor. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, how many do the Royals have? The Royals have six games next week. They're against the Tigers and Yankees, so that could be pretty mm-hmm. good. That could be good. And the Angels? Logan O'Hoppy, they have six games, three against the Oakland A's. I could check out the other matchup as well, but I feel like Oakland just kind of makes up for anything else that might be on the schedule. Yeah, it really does. Uh, the other matchups would be the Rangers. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm liking Ohapi most here. Ohapi, Melendez, Naylor for the final week of the season, and I would take the first two of those, Ohapi and Melendez, over Sean Murphy. So after all the hemming and hawing, <laughs> I think we arrived at a good place. Yeah, I think I would agree with that as well. One name in deeper leagues, if Christian Yelich remains out, Tyrone Taylor has quietly had a solid second half. He's betting 267 with six homers, 27 runs scored, and five steals. Also an 818 OPS, so... He's been playing every day. You know, the Brewers lineup has been uh, performing pretty well, too. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Tyrone Taylor in deeper leagues. We're talking, look, 15-team, five outfielder leagues, anything like that. Only 4% rostered is Tyrone Taylor. 
Some quick news and notes here. Manny Machado was out of the lineup with that elbow injury after DHing on Monday. Max Fried is scheduled to start Thursday in Washington. He was scratched earlier this week with a blister on his left hand. Royce Lewis left his game here on Tuesday with uh, hamstring tightness. And I feel like he's dealt with hamstring multiple times already, right, Scott? So kind of worries me here for Royce Lewis. Yeah, I mean, no matter who... No matter who that Red Cross icon appears next to, you know, a hamstring injury, it could be a day-to-day thing. It's not for sure, like, going to keep him out rest of season, but it, you know, with a week and a half to go in the season, it wouldn't be surprising if it did. So we just have to wait and see if the Twins move Lewis back in the lineup the rest of this week. If it's still in question coming out of the weekend, then obviously I'd, I'd lean against starting him the final week of the year, which is a shame because the Twins matchups are amazing. That's exactly right. Christian Yelich was out again Tuesday and has now missed 10 of the last 11 games with lingering back discomfort. Riley Green will undergo surgery on his right elbow on Wednesday. The details of the procedure have yet to be revealed. He's been out since September 2nd with an inflamed right elbow. I feel like this happens a lot, Scott, where injuries kind of pile up and then I start to feel like, wow, there's more injuries than ever before. And, you know, we'd have to do some research into it, but... Doesn't it feel like hitters are coming up with more elbow injuries than we've seen in years past, you know? Like Bryce Harper last year, and we just had Dominguez, and now we've got Riley Green, and Machado has like a tennis elbow, and... Well, I don't 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 know. know. Max Buncey had a bad one. Reese Hoskins had a bad one. Trevor Story had a bad one. Yeah, maybe it is pretty common. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I... I don't know. I I don't know if I could fairly compare that. All right. Uh, Luisa Rise was scratched from the lineup due to a left ankle sprain. Hassan Kim has now missed three straight with abdominal discomfort. Ryan Mountcastle has missed six straight with shoulder soreness. Jamer Candelario could return next week. He went on the IL recently with a lower back strain. Carlos Correa was out of the lineup on Tuesday and is awaiting MRI results on his left foot. Adbert Alzali threw long toss on Tuesday. There is an outside chance that he could return this season. He went on the IL September 10th due to a right forearm strain. Michael Brantley was out of the lineup due to general soreness. Alex Burleson ah. fractured his, uh, that darn general soreness. Ah. We'll get him one day. Uh, Alec Burleson fractured his left thumb while stealing third base on Tuesday. Jack Flaherty has been moved to the Orioles bullpen. He had a 7-11 ERA and a 167 whip since joining the team entering Tuesday. And I, yep. I, I saw he pitched, but I didn't notice what I'm he did. I'm surprised he got as many chances as he did. Yep. Brady Singer was placed in the I.L. with a left lower lumbar strain, and Alex Fiedo was placed in the I.L. with a blister on his right hand. Let's take our final break. When we return, unsung hitters, the names we haven't talked enough about this season. We'll do that right after this. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back in. Let's talk unsung hitters from the fantasy baseball season. William Contreras, one for four with a sock and a shoe, 283 batting average this year, 17 homers, 79 runs, 74 RBI, five steals, and an 819 OPS. He has sacrificed some power this year, but he's become a better player all around. Better batting average. He's playing a lot. The counting stats are really good for a catcher as well. And did you know, Scott, entering Tuesday... William Contreras was ranked as the number one catcher in Roto this year, even ahead of Adley Rutschman. Great year. Great year. I did not know that. I question whether he should be. The the thing about Roto rankings is it's based on a formula that weighs uh, output in each of the categories that you know, it's 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 it may not always be weighed properly since the league environment is always changing, and also, you know, if 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 how good a player is in particular categories, uh, you know, it, how how useful that actually is to you depends on your own particular team build. So it's not as clear cut. It's why I rarely cite roto rankings how a player has performed um, and how it shows up in roto rankings because it's not as clear cut as points rankings. I will mention William Contreras is number two in points leaks for this season, a distant number two behind Adley Rushman. And in terms of points per game, he's also behind Will Smith and Sean Murphy, but he is number two in total points among catchers. And uh, I'm not going to rank him that way going into the season, but it, it does, it, 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 especially considering the talk at the start of the year where it was like William Contreras was some disappointment. Uh, clearly that has not been so. No, no, it has not. And a few people asked me on Twitter, where is William Contreras going to rank heading into next year? I I haven't done rankings yet. Frankly, I haven't really thought about it. But on the, I don't know, top of mind, I, I think he's probably right inside the top five as, as a catcher for next season. I think he's earned that. Um, obviously, he plays a lot. He's in a pretty good ballpark as well. So I like it. I, I love what William Contreras has done this season. This next one, I don't know. Maybe we talk about him enough, but... Uh, Maybe not. Luis Robert, three for four with his 37th home run. He also has 17 steals and 859 OPS. He's just one of these guys that he's flown under the radar. The White Sox have had a terrible season once again. And uh, entering Tuesday, he was the eighth outfielder in Roto. 3.1 fantasy points per game. That's 15th in uh, head-to-head points. The 15th best outfielder. You know, Plate discipline is a little sketchy for Luis Robert at times. But overall... You know, Scott, this is kind of the breakout season we've been waiting for from Luis Robert, and it just feels like we haven't really talked about it, but it's been a great year. 
Yeah, it has. I I think in like the best case scenario, I was hoping for more stolen bases. I was hoping for more batting average. Not that he's been a problem in either, but I I I I don't know that he's quite lived up to my all my hopes and dreams for him. But it's been a good season. It certainly makes him somebody to consider as early as round three next year. I would say. Also, what's held him back is the run in RP, RBI production in that terrible White Sox lineup isn't where you'd expect it to be given his other numbers. So that's something you have to account for too. And of course, we've seen plenty of injuries from Luis Robert over the years, and I, I think he's that that still has to downgrade him some when we're talking about his 2024 value. But but yeah, I I, I do agree with the overall premise that uh, he maybe hasn't gotten the attention he deserves this season. Luis Robert, you're right about the injuries. He's dealt with a lot. Uh, I wonder if there's still another level for him to get to. He's still only 26 years old, so not going to rule out that possibility. And he's 84th percentile in sprint speed, so I think he could still, you know, stand to run a little bit more. You know, 20, 25 steals maybe and 40-plus homers. I I think that's all possible for uh, Luis Robert one year. Who knows when that will happen, though. Uh, Alex Bregman went one for three with two walks in his 24th home run. He is having a big second half, batting 307 with 12 homers, a 941 OPS. I can't really explain it. I looked into some of the numbers in the second half. You know, 89.8 average exit velocity. That's fine. That's better than usual for Bregman, but a 5% barrel rate in the second half. So not really sure how he's pulling it off, but... He is doing it. The counting stats are great. The OBP is great like it is every year. More walks than strikeouts on the season. He is the seventh best third baseman in Roto and the third best third baseman in head-to-head points. Obviously, is a huge standout in that format, Scott. Uh, but yeah, Alex Bregman is frankly not a name that we've talked much about. No, it's not. And I do think he's redeemed himself, at least his head-to-head points value, because he still has that tremendous walk-to-strikeout ratio like he's always had. Um, and with this strong finish, this big second half, you know, number three among third baseman in points leagues behind just Bobby Witten, Jose Ramirez, the two who are in the conversation to go in the first round next year. And since I was working on what my first two rounds would look like for next year, uh, you know, I did one listing for five by five categories leagues, and I did a second listing for points leagues. I have Bregman as a late second rounder in points leagues next year. I have him going ahead of Rafael Devers and Austin Riley in that format where he does get that big boost with the superior plate discipline. Uh, I think it's I think it's deserved. I do think there's also this perception he's injury prone, be, mostly because he missed a lot of time in 2021. With a, with a hamstring injury, but back-to-back seasons where he's been uh, played every... I think he's literally has played every single day this year, and last year was pretty close to it. Yeah, 155 games last year. He's up to uh, 151 this season as well. That's Alex Bregman, and he's not flashy. He's definitely not going to be the sexy pick in fantasy, but I think even regardless of format, the counting stats that Bregman provides... They are invaluable. 98 runs in the year, 96 RBI. So uh, he is a huge help in those categories as well. Adolis Garcia in his second game back from the IL, one for three with his 35th home run, 243 batting average on the year. He's got 99 runs, 101 RBI, only eight steals on the year. I think that's 
the most surprising part. Sprint speed is down to 51st percentile for Adolis Garcia. He turns 31 in March. He probably could have been in the conversation yesterday too, Scott, where I think Adolis Garcia's, I can't believe I'm saying this again. I think he's kind of confusing to rank for next year too because he's just kind of a lower batting average, big power. The counting stats are good, but he doesn't run anymore. So yeah. I don't know. It's kind of a kind of a weird profile. He's bolstered by his lineup, which has helped him a lot the last two years. His RBI and run production is better than it seems like it should be, given his other stats. So sort of the opposite from Luis Robert in that regard. He's the the thing we have to the, the thing that's easy to forget with Adolis Garcia because he hasn't been uh, front and center in fantasy for long is that pretty old. He's going to be 31 before opening day next year. And well, Scott, I'm 31. So well, you're not a professional athlete, Frank. I could be. Different. I've been playing a lot of pickleball recently. I, I'm closer to 41 <laughs> than 31. So uh, I understand, but by baseball standards you know he's he's not he's not some 26 year old he's a 31 year old and a 31 year old whose skills aren't the sort that we think of as aging well so when the decline comes i don't think it'll be a gentle landing i think he'll just go from being you know borderline stud to practically useless the way javier baez has uh the past couple years so that that adds to the concern when you're ranking Adolis Garcia next season. I'm not necessarily predicting collapse for him next year, but I will probably rank him at the lower end of his range of outcomes, realistic range of outcomes. Too high, too low, or just right? In that way too early mock draft, Adolis Garcia went 44th overall. So that'd be like a late fourth rounder in a 12-team league. I'm gonna... I don't think it's too low. I think it's closer to just right than not. It may be a little high. I I think I might be closer to too low, but I I, I agree. I think just right. I, I feel pretty good about that that ranking there for Adolis Garcia. Last name on the list, and someone I know we have not talked about all season, Scott. I know for certain. Steven Kwan. <laughs> I think the last time we mentioned him was like, I don't know, February. <laughs> When's the last time we talked about this guy? Two for two with three walks, a double, a triple, two RBI. 275 batting average this year, five home runs, 90 runs scored, 20 steals, 10% walk rate, 10% strikeout rate. He, he's another guy that he's just a better real life player. He's a really good fielder as well. I was watching the Guardians game. I, they're talking about he's going to win a gold glove this year. He's a 36th outfielder in Roto, 16th in head to head points. So this is just mm-hmm. a name, clear standout in a points format, Scott. For years, it was. Carlos Santana, right? That was the biggest standout in points versus Roto. I think yep. Stephen Kwan has kind of taken that over in the outfield position. Big points yeah, league standout. I mean, he's certainly a contender. It, the gap was smaller last year because he hit for a really good batting average. But, you know, kind of a middling batting average this year, but still great contact skills, which helps him in points leagues. Uh, I'm surprised he's as high in Roto as he is. 16th in points among outfitters, 36th in the Roto. That's a big gap between the two formats. But I'm I'm kind of surprised it's as high as that. And I wonder if the 20 steals, like this gets to what I was saying earlier, where I, maybe steals are being weighted too heavily because of past scarcity. And now they're more plentiful and the formula hasn't quite caught up to that yet. And so maybe, um, maybe it's overvaluing Quan. 
but you know that he's he's going to be worth drafting as like a number four outfielder in roto leagues and a number two slash three outfielder in points leagues next year. I would say. All right, the unsung hitters. That is the list: Stephen Kwan, Adolis Garcia, Alex Bregman, Luis Robert, and William Contreras. Quick thought here on Corbin Carroll, and uh, obviously, I don't have the best track record with shoulder injuries. Scott, a couple of years ago. Fernando Tatis swung a bat. He dropped it immediately. I thought he was done for the year. I said I would eat my hat if he comes back in the minimum (laughs) amount of time from the IL. What happened? He was back in the minimum amount of time from the IL. Uh, It was a great tasting hat, by the way. Corbin Carroll, big game here. Two for four with a double and his 48th stolen base. He's had a phenomenal season, batting 281, 24 homers. He's got 106 runs scored and 863 OPS. I know you've been working on that early two-round mock draft. I know Corbin Carroll deserves to be a top-five pick, but I I just can't shake the thought of this shoulder injury kind of creeping up again at some point, and maybe it's not warranted. What do you think? I think you can afford to play it a little safe with Corbin Carroll. I ranked him lower than I would have thought I would two months ago. Uh, and, and a big reason for that is because Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez have come on so strong here to end the season. So uh, I, I do have Corbin Carroll in my top five for next year in Roto specifically, but I have those two guys ahead of him, Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez, who have higher combined home run, and I think they're higher combined home run and stolen base totals. I mean, Corbin, certainly Witt does uh, because they're both close to 50 steals. Uh, Rodriguez is over 70 between the two of them, but it's at least close enough that uh, if you feel just safer with Rodriguez with his health situation, as I do, then you can take him instead. But I want it, you know, it's, it's like steals are more plentiful and I don't know that you have to sell out as hard for them early in drafts next year. But there's a, still a difference between a 50 steel guy and a 30 steel guy, and oh, yes. Carroll is closer to the former, and he's a rare example of that. So is Bobby Witt. That's why he's ahead. Um, but that's why I couldn't let him drop outside of the top five in Roto. Now, points leagues, because you don't have to prioritize steals on any level, really, uh, you, you have players like Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Corey Seager... Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, all of them I'm happy to slot ahead of Corbin Carroll in that format. So it, it, it really makes a difference what format you're talking about. But given, given that he's an outstanding base stealer in the format where steals are essential, it's, it's hard to downgrade him too much. I will fully admit that this is the scared money, don't make money kind of approach. But I think for next year, even in Roto Leagues, I will probably take Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, and Kyle Tucker ahead of Corbin Carroll. And that's solely because of just the shoulder injury being in the back of my mind. And maybe he'll make me eat my words or, or eat another hat, but... It's justifiable. I'm, I'm trying to accept that I've done things not as well as I could have in Roto Leagues the past couple years uh, because I think, especially this year, the 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 gap between my head-to-head league and my Roto League performance is pretty stark. And um, one of the things I 
don't think I've done well enough is 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 emphasize steals early in drafts. And I do think it's true that you don't have to maybe as much as in years past, but like you still should probably do it more than I have. So um, I originally was thinking, okay, I'm going to make Betts my number two overall player, even in Roto, going into next season. I'm going to have Freddie Freeman in my top five. Um, but you know the the just the 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 raw number of steals between them and a Bobby Witt or a Corbin Carroll just still doesn't compare. And so to get that really strong foundation in steals. And not ignore them the rest of the draft, you know, but not have to stress about it so much, I, I think is is worth accepting a little more risk given that, you know, it's just, you, you can't afford to do things at suboptimal efficiency anymore. At least, you know, the, the, with the caliber of competition I have. It's gotten so much better over the years that like you have to nail it. You have to nail everything. And so I don't think... I don't think I can afford suboptimal efficiency with my uh, first pick within reason, within reason. I mean, if there was a really scary thing, but you know, Corbin Carroll has been playing fine with the shoulder injury and it hasn't cost him playing time beyond those two scary moments. And it's, it's, I don't want to overly worry about it either. All right. And and again, to be fair, I I don't blame you or anyone else who's going to rank him or take him in the top five, but I don't know. I think I just, in the early rounds, I just really, really like to play it safe. Some yeah. hitting leftovers here from Tuesday's action. Randy Rosarena went one for four with his 23rd home run. And it's just funny the way that things even out over the course of a baseball season because Rosarena got off to this amazing start in April. He had an awful July. He had 153 in the month. He's been solid since then, solid August and September. But the, num- the numbers at this point, 258, 23 homers, 22 steals, Maybe the steals are a little bit disappointing this year. But that's like a quintessential Randy Arozarena season. Just look at his past three years. It's a 260, 25-25 type guy, right around an 800 OPS. That's just who he is. And, and yeah, here we are. Another season, he just, boom, gets to those numbers for Randy Arozarena. Jeff McNeil went three for four with a double and a run scored. He's been very good since the start of August. A 304 batting average, seven homers, and four steals during that time. Bo Bichette very clearly listened to yesterday's podcast. Two for four with his 19th home run of the year. He had two runs and two RBI in that game. Uh, George Springer, two for four with his 20th home run. Very similar to Xander Bogarts in that the counting stats have been a disappointment, but a 257 batting average, 20 homers, 19 steals. Still a pretty useful season, I would say, for George Springer. And uh, Bryce Harper, guy just looks like he's all the way back. One for four with his 19th home run. And now since the start of August, 44 games, he's batting 291 with 14 homers, 34 runs, 35 RBI, and a 22% barrel rate. He's back, and he's Bryce Harper, and he's awesome. <laughs> Call to the bullpen, a few updates here. For the Nationals, Kyle Finnegan entered the ninth with a two-run lead. He gave up one run but picked up his 26th save. For the Marlins, Tanner Scott, uh, a little shaky here, last two outings. He got the ninth inning with a two-run lead. He gave up two runs on three hits, but he took his uh, took his fourth-blown save, wound up with the win. They uh, managed to walk it off in the bottom of the ninth. For the Royals, tonight in uh, Royals Roulette, a gentleman named Colin Snyder picked up the first save of his career, and each of the last three saves have gone to a different pitcher in the Royals' bullpen. For the Rangers, we haven't seen a Roldis Chapman in a while. Maybe a little mental break for him. 
He entered in the seventh inning with the game tied. Runners on second and third. Biggest spot in the game. He struck out Rafael Devers looking, and then he got Justin Turner to ground out. He also pitched an entirely clean eighth inning. Looked amazing once again. Uh, Jose Leclerc then got the final three outs for his third save of the year. For the Orioles, Yanir Cano entered the ninth with uh, a runner on first. He gave up a hit and a walk. Sionel Perez then got the final out for his second save. And for the Tigers, I didn't write down exactly what happened, but I just wrote Alex Lang in all caps because he came on and he blew the game and then he took the loss against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream, Scotty. And on Wednesday, we have Michael King against the Blue Jays, Bailey Ober at the Reds, Josiah Gray against the White Sox, Reese Olsen at the Dodgers, Reed Detmers at the Rays. Like any of those? I didn't love them when we talked about them yesterday, and I don't love them anymore now. I, I think I said Michael King would be my number one choice. Bailey Ober would be my number two choice, but I'm not I'm not necessarily expecting great numbers from either. They're just kind of the best you can do on Wednesday. I was really hoping that you would sleep on it, Scott, and you'd wake up, and the first thing you would think is, I really like Reese Olsen at the Dodgers on Wednesday. <laughs> Uh, nope. Uh, all right, let's talk about Thursday. We've got Griffin Canning at the Rays, Wade Miley at the Cardinals, Kyle Hendricks against the Pirates. That's pretty good. That's the best one. That's the best one either Wednesday or Thursday. It's still not amazing, but it's the best one. Kyle Hendricks against the Pirates. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.